Hey, hi, hello, y'all, and welcome back. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk about a bit of gender trouble that's causing quite a commotion amongst academics, trans folks, trans academics, and just anybody who's uh, online right now. So um, on September 7th, there was a interview posted on the Guardian website. Queer historian Jules Gleason interviewed author and overall badass Judith Butler to talk about the last few decades of gender justice and how things have changed and transformed since Butler penned their book, Gender Trouble. While the interview is incredibly enlightening and worth the read, what's got the Twitterverse in a tailspin is what's missing from the interview. Come to find out, editors at The Guardian omitted a portion of the interview as it was submitted in which Butler discusses how TERFs uphold fascism, saying that the ways trans-exclusive feminists have aligned themselves with right-wing attacks on trans people is in direct opposition to struggles against racism, nationalism, and other byproducts of fascism and white supremacy. Ironically, it looks like the omitted portion is getting more circulation online than the full interview. I strongly encourage folks to check out the full interview and find the omitted excerpt to get some incredible insight from one of the OGs of queer theory. And this energy of calling out TERFs and anti-trans attacks feels right in line with a conversation we have lined up today. I'm joined by two of my very favorite people to talk about Midwest Nice. This oft-joked-about phenomenon is way more than goodbyes that last 15 minutes or holding the door for someone light years away. It can actually cause immense barriers to communication, boundaries, and relationships, and we're going to talk about all of it. I hope you brought your big spoon, because we're ready to dive in to take the last bite. Y'all, we cannot do this. We cannot be these stereotypical Midwesterners. Please eat the rest of this food. We just have these conversations every day with people. Like, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? I don't know who you are, but <laughs> we're going to talk by the potatoes for five minutes. Because aesthetic is the only thing keeping my dysphoria at bay. Yeah, I'm broke all the time, but I look amazing. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice. And if that's, if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is. Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. All right, friends, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. We know what we're here to talk about, and we've already been cutting up before I even hit the record button. So um, we're going to talk about Midwest Nice and all of its variations. Um, so if folks want to start off with just by explaining what you think Midwest nice is, including an introduction of who you are. I'll go, I'll go. I'm TK. Um, my pronouns are Z, Z and Zers. Um, Midwestern nice is basically just a great way to say passive aggression. Mm. Passive aggression, um, just disguised behind a smile. That is the best way that I can describe it. And it's like mainly regionalized into the Midwest, um, which knowing the several Midwestern states I've lived in, there's some contention on which states are the Midwest and which ones are not. And that's a whole different conversation for a whole separate day. <laughs> but mainly... Like you can find variations of Midwestern nice in any considerable Midwestern state. Um, and it's trash. So it really is. It's just passive aggressiveness with a smile. So that's like the best way to describe it for me. So, so yeah. I'm Robert. I use they and them pronouns. Um, I think Midwest nice for me comes in like two parts. One, it comes from this like social anxiety around like, oh man, I don't want people to think I'm a dick, right? Like, I think that's one piece of it, but I also like have a really waspy family too. So there's this idea of like, you know, we have a lot of money and we're going to talk about these like really fun things. And like, we're going to make you feel um, um, insignificant to us um, because we can talk about this, but we're not going to say it mean, right? Like, oh, wow, you got to do this cute little thing or, oh, that's so amazing. Like, I'm going to have this long conversation with you in the grocery store about how my kids are doing so incredible. And it's so great that your one kid, you know, has gotten a sticker. Um, that's that's cute little sticker, right? So um, 
I think for me, that's where it shows up the most. And like, especially leaving the Midwest and coming back, um, you know, spending four years outside of the Midwest, uh, small talk is like the cornerstone of Midwest nice that like, yeah, I don't know who you are, but we're going to talk by the potatoes for five minutes um, in the grocery store. Okay. But like I got quartered by potatoes the other day and I was like, it's Aldi. Can I leave please? Um so I think for me, that's where, that's where Midwest Nice comes in. You know, if I was to add anything onto what TK just said. I really like the additional like scene setting of kind of the like, cl- like cishet, you know, elderly, not even elderly, but just like cishet, like white folk kind of in these circumstances where they're talking themselves up, but not trying to very evidently like play down someone else's experiences. And I think we'll definitely hit on some of the ways that like, yes, we're kind of joking around about some of the Midwest niceties, but it has really significant impacts along, along like (sighs) just existing in spaces with non-queer people. Um, I think for me, when I think about like Midwest nice, like it is kind of this weird social norm, like that comes with this like set of social standards in a way of like how how you're expected to show up um, in space or just like how you're expected to like communicate. Um, and even, you know, I've only ever lived in the Midwest um, with occasional trips and visits outside of it. But like even having grown up in St. Louis and Kansas City and then coming up to northern Minnesota like there's such a difference between communication styles where like I consider myself a direct communicator um and that 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 doesn't go over very well where I am now and I Mm -hmm. had to learn that the hard hard way Mm -hmm. um the very hard way so like what are you know and we don't have to get into like the like detritus of it yet sorry I heard someone use that word the other day when I was out in the world I was like detritus is such a good word but it was so unnecessary to be used anyway um what are like some of the social quirks or things that like manifest or you would identify as like midwest nice that maybe don't exist elsewhere right there's there's definitely lots of like tiktoks that joke around about certain types of social quirks right I feel like the big thing is like um it's just like it's just like being assertive so like in other places in the world well in the country we'll say the u.s specifically that like Mm -hmm. some some city major metropolitan cities are like seen as like super rough because folks are just really direct and know what they need and they're not gonna bullshit you if if in like go around the bush to try to figure out what you want the midwest that's what they do they they beat around the bush they're like we want to communicate we're here for you blah 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 but then they don't really be there for you like it's really not true it's um i see it a lot with um with like how with like how people treat servers and like the surface industry when it comes to tips a don't think that we should be a tipping society that should already be counted into the bill but the fact that like a good chunk of folks will automatically be like oh wow this was a great service i felt really supported but then they would tip one dollar that's how i feel a stereotype of midwestern nice is is that folks will do the bare minimum and if they are told to do above the bare minimum they will spiral spiral they will spiral and it will be not good um but yeah like I'm trying to think of like because I feel like there are a lot of attributes to midwestern nice that exists like outside of the Midwest, just in different forms. Mm -hmm. But I think the main thing is that politeness is above everything else. And that if you um, like are trying to actually advocate for yourself and speak up for yourself, you have to do it. Um, You have to do it in a way that you coddle people Mm -hmm. and you have to um like do it in a way where they don't feel attacked because you know they're all in their feelings which i'm mainly talking from like you know white cishet perspective and this also happens with you know like white queer and trans folks too 
um because i don't see it a lot in black and brown communities we just kind of just vibe and just do our thing um but yeah i think i think the biggest thing that i that i think of is like that that mentality of like if you're critiqued like uh you automatically shut down you don't kind of like advocate for yourself and then you but then if you really need to um like cause conflicts like you have to do it with a smile and you have to like let them down easy and i'm just like i'm not about that i'm just not that's too much work that's too much labor i'm too hot for that <laughs> i think tk hit on this really well but um <clears throat> i think i can't underscore enough this like uh, and rb's heard me talk about this before right this idea of like you participating in a conversation in a certain way to get an emotional response from someone is emotional mm. manipulation like Midwest nice is all about emotional manipulation manipulation in some cases, in my opinion, right? Like I'm going to package this really nicely and softly because I don't want you to get angry. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to do this because I have this external validation or this external need, right? To, to be like, oh, well, if I don't have this 12 minute conversation by the potatoes, like then they're going to be mad at me, right? Or they're going to think mm-hmm. I'm unapproachable or like for me, my like resting face is just like, please don't speak to me. Um, and like people feel some kind of way about it. Cause then I'm mean, or I'm unapproachable, but like, I'm not available to you 24 seven. And I think that's the Midwest nice, right? Like, of like, and I say this all the time we get together in groups, but like people will always come up and ask me questions. People will always come up and touch me. Um, and it's similar, right? Like we, we constantly sit there and we like, um, we're not direct because we don't like, I think like TK said, we don't want to make other people upset. And like, you know, I've lived in quite a few places outside the Midwest. I've lived in the Northeast and I've lived in the Southwest and like people are nice and polite, but small talk is not a thing in the grocery store unless you like know someone, right? Like we don't do that. It's been weird. I, you know, I've been back for three weeks in the Midwest and I'm still like, oh, like we just have these conversations every day with people. Like this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Right? I'm, I'm just like, I'm just like, why, why is small talk a thing? But there's this really strange experience that I've specifically had when, in the time that I've lived in Northern Minnesota. And as I think about it, right, like, I don't think it's unique to where I live, but there's, there's a certain dynamic that I've tracked that feels very related to what we're talking about with like small talk. I hate small talk and I've learned to hate small talk even more, I think, because I, f- I feel like the ways that especially like cishet folks in my ecosystem, right? Folks maybe that are part of like where I work um, or that do maybe community or like community group type stuff where I live. There's this expectation that I feel that I owe them a relationship. And it's this concept that I've started talking about like of like social currency that there's people, I think, especially like well-intentioned white folks cishet white folks, right, that like really want to be in proximity of marginalized people in a way that they know makes them look like they're more conscious or more aware of things. And it's not from, in my interpretation, like this need to align themselves with marginalized people. It's literally like, I want to be able to name drop. Right. I want to be able to say that, like, I've spent time with like X, Y, Z people, especially where I live that has like smaller town like feel, um, especially among folks who are doing any kind of like diversity work. And I use that word intentionally um, that like I've I've tracked people who like spring up small talk with marginalized people for the sake of being able to kind of like bank in on that later right to be able to be in social space with other people later be like oh well I talked to so-and-so recently or I know this fun fact about so-and-so or just whatever right not realizing that like queer and trans folks BIPOC folk right like disabled folks maybe feel like they have to talk to you because you're demanding our time and energy right and so that like that feels like a like a like a sub plot (laughs) of the small talk shit Um, But it's a thing that I've been hyper aware of lately because there's people that I've encountered in my time doing work here in Northern Minnesota that I feel like get frustrated because I do not accommodate their desire for a relationship with me because it doesn't feel authentic, right? Like we can talk about cooking and we can talk about like, you know, the weather, which is a very common small talk thing that I don't care to talk about the weather. But other than that, right? Like if it's not going to be a meaningful conversation, 
then you're not going to extract that from me. Like TK said, like you're demanding labor just by demanding that like I communicate with you. And if this is not for a mutually beneficial relationship, then it, it doesn't really need to happen. Um, so then you, you then get kind of pegged as the angry fill in the blank identity person because you're not willing to engage with that person's inauthenticity. No, that makes so much sense. Embrace Midwestern anger 2021. Bloop. Well, and I, I mean, I even think about like, I moved back here and I started supervising people. Right. And like, <clears throat> I supervise full-time staff now. And it's, it's been interesting being like, I just need you to do this thing. And they're like, Oh, are you mad at me? And I'm like, I, why would I be just do the thing? Like, I, yeah, I have 16 things going on. Can you please just take care of this? Right. Or like, Hey, next time, can you not do this? And it's like, Oh, like, you know, when you yelled at me and I'm like, when I did what <laughs> I did not, Oh no, baby, you were not important enough in my life to yell at. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to be nice about it, but like, I do not go home and think about you. Right. Like you are not, you are not like, I, I think similar to right. Like I don't owe you labor. Like I don't owe you space in my brain or my soul. Like you are not that important to me. Like it's, it's just interesting how like we have to couch stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff has to be nice and gentle and sweet. And like, no, I, I straight up tell people like, I can't do that. Cause I get confused and I get lost. And like, part of it is like, I just don't pay attention a lot of the time because most conversations are boring to me. Uh, and I don't have the energy to keep up with them, but also like when we talk in circles, I get lost. And so sometimes I'm like, no, like, I think this thing is stupid. And people are like, oh, I'm like, oh was I not supposed, I mean, like we would have gotten there eventually. Like we're all saying the same thing. You're just saying it nicer than I am. And I just, I don't have time for that because it, it for me, it's a sign at this point in my life, it's a sign of disrespect. Like you're going to waste all of my time trying to be nice about this thing and talk in coded language when we're just, we could just call a spade a spade. Right. We could just throw it out there. We could just say it. And like, to me, it's almost like a sign of disrespect because you are not honoring the fact I've got other stuff to do in my life, or you are not being able, you're not willing to be truthful, honest, and upfront about the fact that you um, feel some kind of way about it. Like, just say what you mean and mean what you say. Like, we don't have to like walk around and do all of these things. Um, and I think I think that communication has been really hard for me and it's hard for me to adjust back um, because I'm, I'm not really, you know, I keep coming back to this, but like, I'm not interested in emotionally manipulating people so that way they don't feel their feelings. Like I can hurt your feelings and that's real. You need to tell me that. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna sit here. I'm not gonna gossip. I'm not gonna like talk behind people's backs. Like it is what it is. And like, we're gonna keep moving on. Um, and like, that's represented in my relationships and my friendships, you know, in my family ships, like it's all represented there because that's who I am. And I don't have time for people that can't do that. Um, right. And not, and not that I'm unwilling to get to know people, but I just like, I don't know, for me, it's about respect is, is really what it comes down to. And I think people think about it in the opposite way because of this idea of respect. And again, like TK said mm-hmm. about, um, something earlier, like this is a whole separate conversation we can have, oh, about what states are in actually in the Midwest. We could have a whole conversation about respect in the way that we, we view that, but. Cause, cause at, at the end of the day, Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. That is exactly what it is. Like a lot of people, and like I've been hearing this a lot on TikTok too, um, is that a lot of people will use the term white fragility because, you know, white fragility was a term that was coined by a white woman. But what it truly is at the end of the day, it is white aggression. It is white people that are needing to be coddled and they are needing to be kind of infant-like Mm. taken care of kind of like an infant mm. um to be to be seen as legitimate and to be seen as like valid and whatever they need right and like this is also like including um like the various intersections as well like that i think about a lot like if someone is blunt to you that does not mean that they do not respect you mm-hmm. like what robert was saying robert's like if i'm if like if you're not worth my time to be angry over and to think about. No, absolutely not. But at the same time, like if you 
automatically assume that someone who raises their tone, whether you realize it or not, it's automatically an attack. That's white aggression. That is exactly what white aggression is because at the end of the day, they are only focused on their feelings and their feelings only. And if you hurt them, like it's not you hurting them, it's them not knowing how to take it. And I like, I like hear that a lot. It's like, um, my mom always told me don't dish out what you can't take. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, that makes sense because like, if you're not up for the criticism, then then just don't be a part of it. But if you're like, if you think that every single time someone tells you directly like that this is a need that they have and you see it as an attack like no like that's Mm -hmm. reassessing that you need to do not on the other person they're like i know what i want i'm not trying to beat around the bush and try to figure out what this is and how we are and like if you're not okay with that you can find someone else to like you know try to figure out whatever relationship or whatever oh is this person mad at me blah 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 have like 10 billion conversations about it um because at the end of the day you know what your intentions are and if the person that that like is affected like sees that like oh well they were hurt by it I'm like cool like folks are gonna get hurt that's life and you just need to own up to it and that's also another part of men of like midwest nice is that they don't talk about they only talk about their feelings when they're hurt they don't talk about their feelings when um when it can actually be like productive so even if they were hurt they wouldn't tell you well, and TK, you alluded to something that like popped up and dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but we got through it and it's fine. But like, <clears throat> I got into this conversation with my dad, like right before I left. And I was like, and my dad made all these assumptions, right? Because information wasn't communicated to me. And so I got this like big, long text of like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I basically sent back, like, this is an inappropriate conversation to have over text. Like, if you want to call me, feel free to call me, but like, I'm not continuing this conversation. I'm not going to be a part of it. And then when the call started, I was like, here are my boundaries. And I think like a big part of Midwest nice is compromising your like communication boundaries to benefit other people. Yes. I'm just uninterested in doing that. Like I will draw a boundary in the sand. Like this is my boundary. We are not going to cross it. Um, and, you know, we can talk about like what causes people to move boundaries. But I think um, TK, as you were, as you were talking that like really popped up for me in my brain of like you know, a lot of Midwest nice is, is compromising, you know, we're going to compromise our boundaries. We're going to compromise our comfort because if we are, if we are inputting our boundaries into a conversation and saying, you know, like this is not appropriate, um, then we're seen as someone who's aggressive or angry, right? Like RB and I have talked about that a lot of like being mm-hmm. seen as this aggressive person. When in reality, I'm communicating my boundaries to you. Like your reaction to my boundaries says more about you than it does about me. Um, I, I think what, I think what I would extract out of this too, is that like, it, it really, in a lot of ways boils down to like the relationship you either have or aspire to have with a person in, in how you're willing to commit and commit to that person. Right. Cause we're talking about consent. We're talking about boundaries. We're talking about communication. We're talking about like the general acknowledgement of another person's humanity. And we're talking about how Midwest nice kind of scraps a lot of those things that make it hard or problematize the ability to maintain boundaries or to communicate effectively in ways that are going to be generative and not beat around the bush and not like oversimplify. Um, And it makes me think about like posts that maybe folks have seen around like, you know, if someone corrects you um, when you've mispronounced them, that's like a gift or like that's like them, you know, if they, they correct you, then that's them like continuing to commit to that relationship and hoping and trusting enough that like that, that correcting you will, will invite you, right. To like be better and to do better. And if you don't do that, right. Like if someone like continues to mispronounce another person, then they're not necessarily committing to like their, their role in that relationship. Facts. Facts. I talk a lot about, and I'd love to talk more about like, um, and this is a side tangent, so I'll like keep it short. Um, but I love talking about the fact that accountability is that I love and care about you. It's not that you've done something wrong. Like mm-hmm. if I didn't love you, if I didn't care about you, mm-hmm. I would not hold you accountable. 
And we talk about accountability and people hate me for saying this, but I, you know, when people talk being accountable, right? We use that word a lot of accountability. Like, what does it actually mean is my first question. But for me, it's, it's about being held responsible to the, to the boundaries in our relationships. Right. And like, you know, a boundary is that you're going to use my correct pronouns, right? Like period, no other questions, no other comments, no other concerns. Like that is the thing you will do. Yeah. Um, I, this doesn't have to be an immediate um, answer. Right. But I'm thinking about, I'm curious if y'all would make any distinction between like niceness and kindness. And if some of what we're talking about is necessarily right, this distinction between, you know, niceness being whiteness, as we've kind of talked about here, um, versus kind of kindness, um, for me at least, thinking that that feels more rooted in relationship and an actual affinity for people, not necessarily having to perform a particular way to give the illusion that you're amicable with other people. Does that ring or resonate for y'all at all? No, that makes sense because, because niceness is a performance. Niceness is performative, but kindness, kindness is like, um, that feeling of like camaraderie, that, that, that mutual respect, because it goes to respect too, um, and a mutual understanding of one another versus niceness being like, uh, oh, you know, talking to a random stranger next to potatoes for 20 minutes in an Aldi. Like that's performative. Like, um, and so, so yeah, I, I like see, see that nuance and not. And when people talk about kindness, they really mean nightness, which is performative. So. I also think that um, I'm thinking about this anyway, that niceness in many ways is coerced right? Like, because it's a social norm, like that comes with social pressure. And then I also think about how that plays out in like a job place, knowing that like the three of us have and or currently do work in higher education. Like that's very pressing on my mind that there's certain, you know, standards created within job places um, that enforce and coerce certain ways in which we interact with each other, right? The word civility comes to mind as like language that is frequently used, um, to enforce certain types of like interacting or certain like ways that folks exist in a job place. Anti-bullying language, which feels very like, you know, childhood-esque, not to say that like that you know, that lived experience is not real, but it doesn't feel um, applicable to like a place where there's grown ass adults, right? Navigating like white supremacy and sexism and like, like systemic oppression, right? Anti-bullying just feels very like limiting to have that, that fuller conversation. Um, respect as we've brought up multiple times probably needs to be a whole nother episode because we I could go on quite the tangent and I've had to have the point of that is I've had to have conversations with students and colleagues alike around like that's actually not a helpful like framing when we're doing things like creating ground rules maybe for shared spaces right like when folks are like we need to respect each other I literally will follow up and say can you say more about what that means because I think what's tricky about it too is that even if we're talking about respect, right? Or if we're talking about niceness or whatever, you know, civility and whatever version of that kind of like diluted word we're using, it doesn't really tell me or tell anybody anything about like, what are your expectations? It's a very like empty sentiment. And I, I recall being in a space once where we were, I was in a group of other colleagues and we were creating shared like, you know, community guidelines or ground rules for the space we were in. And I asked that question and it caused this other person in the space to like break down and cry because they were like, I'm just so confused. You know, I hold respect as a really high value. And I'm like, I'm not saying that you can't, I'm saying, right. Mm -hmm. That I need to understand more fully, right. What that looks like in practice. Right. And I think that, um, that's, that's where the emptiness of it comes from because, at that time, not long before that moment where, right, I'm challenging this white woman, right, to say, can you tell me more about what that looks like? And I explained to her that the reason I was so adamant about getting more precise about what we mean when we say respect or any other equivalent word um, was that 
I'd been in a scenario where this person had posted something on Facebook that was highly transphobic and I commented, right? And then I got into this like dog pile with other people, other mutual friends of theirs who were pushing back and telling me all these things, right? Like just, I got set up for a really shitty situation in the comments, right? Of this thing that a, a friend on Facebook at the time um, had posted, right? And then you know, that person didn't engage in the post at all. So just really left me to my own devices. So I followed up later, right? I was just like, none of this was okay, right? I tried to call you out in a way that said, this is really problematic, right? This sends a particular message to me and any other queer and trans, trans folks on your page. Like, what are you going to do about this? You know, and all the person could really say was like, you know, I have such respect for you, but Right. And that is the part that makes respect feel like an empty sentiment, right? That people have the opportunity to say, especially to queer and trans folks, because this was just a, a cishet person, right? To be able to say, I respect you as a person. And also, mm -hmm. right, there is a limitation on how much I can respect you, which means something bad to me, right? That person yeah. says they can respect me and can also ignore a significant element of who I am. So I explained that in the space where this woman was crying, right? I was just like, I've been in scenarios where folks have said they respect me and then they discredit a significant portion of who I am, right? So I need you to be mm -hmm. more precise and in this invitation to like talk more about it. Um, and that, that's what this Midwest nice you know, scenario really feels like that you're, it almost feels like you're challenging this core value of who people are. And I'm like, if you can't be more precise and communicate effectively what your value looks like in practice, it doesn't sound like a very strong value to me. I think that's the big thing is that like, I'm just ready to fight at the moment's notice because Midwestern nice is truly the, the breaking down of someone's integrity. And that is why they leave. Like the only things that, like the anomalies to this is legit Detroit and Chicago and like maybe like St. Louis and um, Kansas City, Missouri. But even then, that's questionable. Chicago and Detroit are the vastly different to all to the rest of the state. Every like we'll, we'll even say maybe like Cleveland too. Any heavily BIPOC area like that Midwestern ice usually does not fly um but but yeah no it's just it's just so much and I'm ready to fight on a moment's notice I'm ready you're listening to take the last bite a podcast produced by the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity the Institute re-envisions an educational climate that centers the needs and experiences of systemically disadvantaged students and affirms and encourages sexuality and gender diversity. Through this podcast and other programs, the Institute provides community and connection to the next generation of leaders in the movement for our collective liberation. Building a sense of community plays a critical role in improving mental health outcomes for queer and trans youth. We are dedicated to furthering queer success in the Midwest. Our work is made possible through the generous financial support of grassroots donors. Your donation helps provide space for queer and trans students to experience the joy of being in community and helps remove barriers to accessing queer and trans-centered spaces. To learn more and make a contribution today, visit sgdinstitute.org forward slash giving. So before we took a break so that folks could get fat kid snacks and <laughs> fat kid snacks. Um, other, other creature comforts, TK was ready to fight. Right. And I want to like follow up on that because like it, it may have been a joke. It kind of wasn't a joke. And I think the not entirely being a joke part is where the impact of Midwest nice on queer and trans people um, is something to like continue talking to because um, it, it's a control mechanism in many ways, right? So right, you know, earlier talking about how niceness is a form of coercion, especially when it's codified into policy um, or like community standards, right? It creates this residual effect and is rooted in a lot of other kind of like um, um, job place isms um, that really limit or restrict. And it's not just the job place, right? I definitely want to open this up to be considerate of like just social spaces, organizing spaces and movement spaces, just like any arrangement of people really. So I'm curious from y'all, 
right? Like what are some of the most egregious impacts of kind of this cultural norm that is Midwest nice on queer and trans people? Um, uh, I think, I think that the biggest thing is just, it's just the level of gaslighting that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about like, I'm going to use my job knowing that like this can happen in other situations. So I know I get gaslit a lot at my job when I tell them that like, this isn't right in like what is happening. And I come to a conclusion, but other people are like, oh no, like that's not what's happening here Uh um but basically like I had a boundary that was crossed and I confronted said person who is someone in power about said boundary and they were like well I apologize like what um what else is there and I said but it's not just the apology and also like knowing that this said person also put like my health at risk um, really showed me that, like, I came to the conclusion that, like, this person, um, did not care about how, um, did not care about the health and wellness of me and of other people because we needed to be at an event, um, and that the reason I was giving was not a quote-unquote good enough excuse, but we as like Midwestern nice, we don't confront that behavior and being like, why is this a thing? Why do you think that like, I have to put myself at risk like this to, to do something for, for a job that doesn't consider me anything. Right. And so like this plays out too and and I think and I think too when we think about like queer and trans like folks in the sense of like Midwestern nice I think it's very important that the distinction needs to be made of BIPOC folks and white folks because white folks like Midwestern niceness is there is their cup of tea it is what they live Mm -hmm. and thrive off of because they they are able to gaslight and manipulate people um and use and use the the skies of queerness to not um to, to to be like oh well like you're actually being supportive and doing these things um which is not true they're very much doing that same gatekeepy girl boss shit that I hear a lot of on TikTok um that is like what's happening and so um and so yeah I think a lot about that and that nuance and also how no matter how you identify if you're white you will always fall back on white supremacist tactics and midwestern nice is one of those tactics yeah I think like um, I think I'm going to amend what I was going to say. Cause as TK was talking, like that, was, that that's real. Right. Like, so I think for me, like I start off with and feeling like I have to apologize for everything. Right. Like yeah. I have to apologize for existing. Um, <clears throat> and like, I even think about, um, I'm starting to advise uh, a fraternity at the university of Iowa and even my conversations, right. I have to give this caveat of like, you're going to think I'm an asshole at some points in time, I'm already setting myself up to know that I'm going to be an asshole, but like, knowing that they're going to perceive me that way because I'm going to be direct with them. Like when they do something you're not supposed to do, I'm going to be like, you're not supposed to do that. Like that was a dumb decision that you made. Um, and not in a judgmental way, but like, you know better. And I know you know better, um, but I do that in other places, right? Like I constantly police my behavior or police what I say um, and take time to do that because at the end of the day, like I know that the worst that could happen to me is that people stop taking me seriously. Um, and that, that, same grace isn't extended to other people, right? When we really think about it, like BIPOC folks aren't just taken, aren't not taken seriously. Um, they get discredited, right? They get pushed out. They get, they get um, undermined or gaslit, right? And so the worst thing that happens to me is that, um, that I feel like I don't fit in anymore or I don't have a support network. Um, but the, I think that's also a component of it too, right? Of like, there's this like casual inching out of people who, um, come off as, as, uh, unapproachable. There's air quotes again there, right? Unapproachable. Um, or that come off in a way that like, um, I think doesn't adhere to like what the social political constructs of niceness or whiteness are. 
Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a big thing for me, right. Is like, is that it really comes into the, what are the ramifications, um, for me acting like my authentic self, um, which I think shows up for a lot of queer and trans people in different arenas, right. It's not just around niceness, but it's around, you know, if I don't act, behave, think, talk, demonstrate, perform appropriately, here are the ramifications that can happen to me. And that's always in the forefront, um, of what our, of our minds and on the forefront of, of our behavior, because, you know, you have to weigh the scales constantly. You have to determine constantly, is it worth it to risk this? Is it worth, worth it to risk all of these negative consequences? And I have to stay true to who I am, right? And like, sometimes we have to compromise that. Um, and it sucks, but I think lots of other people that don't share our identities or maybe don't share the identities that other folks hold in queer and trans spaces, right? Thinking specifically about BIPOC folks in queer and trans spaces, they don't necessarily get the same opportunity that we do, right? They don't get the same opportunity that white folks do to, to compromise or to not compromise as much because our whiteness protects us. Um, and so I think for me, that's that's the big thing that comes up. What this brings up for me is thinking about like a lot of the tool, and again, like higher education is the only like field I've worked in, you know, post college, right? So like, that's a very specific lens, but I think that some of this is going to ring true for different types of job places or different types of spaces is that like, there's, there are longstanding mechanisms in place to like, again, coerce people into like performing and existing in a certain type of way. And depending on what, like what identities you have, right? Like those mechanisms are used like in disparate ways. I think very much about like how HR is not your friend, right? And is weaponized oh, no. against HR marginalized. Is not people. your friend. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Um, and I am thinking specifically of a many examples of like folks in my ecosystem um, that have had really like disparaging, really shitty experiences of like their supervisors or other folks that are kind of higher, higher level positions, and they are kind of having HR weaponized against them in ways that make your job security like null and void at that point where you're having to defend yourself or understand why um why that's happening and i it reminds me of like so i've been in a full-time position post-college for like five years now and it didn't take very long into my first few months working full-time um to get like the ominous hr phone call of like hi this thing was reported and this external person um has some qualms with maybe some things that you said or some things that maybe you're presumably doing right and the the actual backstory was that i'd been posting some things about the local pride being very exclusive of trans people and somehow that made its way all the way to like me getting this phone call from hr and i was like oh, so that's how fast that can happen. And that's how like restricted I can necessarily be by just kind of speaking out on my personal channels via social media and talking about the exclusion of trans people in the community, in a job that is intended to be like supporting and empowering queer and trans people. I was like, this is so confusing. Um, So like, it's fine if I'm doing like a safe zone training. It's fine if like I'm representing the university in a particular way or the job place in a particular way. It's not fine if I'm necessarily pissing off people who can make phone calls to my place of work. And I know many queer and trans people, especially in higher education, who've gotten that ominous HR call to be like, what are you, what are you saying out loud? Like, what are you saying about this other entity? Like this is inappropriate or this could be cause for concern, right? There's only so much that can technically be done, but like, even if it's not an outright infraction or like an outright you know an outright like violation against maybe a certain policy right like it still gets noted like there's people who are then still aware and watching you know marginalized folks in a certain way that have certain access to leveraging human resources or policy against queer and trans people and that's also students i have seen code of conduct Robert and I have seen code of conduct thrown at like black and brown students, black, you know, queer and trans students in a certain type of way that is inequitable and is really just a matter of how do upper decision maker, upper level decision makers determine who gets, you know, pressed the most by expectations of how you're adhering to a code of conduct, which is its own form of niceness, right? Usually it includes types of language around how you're meant to treat other people. So -hmm. we're literally codifying a lot of the things that we're talking about, which is all related to professionalism. 
<laughs> ding, ding, ding. See, beautiful segue because that's what I was going to talk about was that everything boils down to like how we as queer and trans people, especially BIPOC queer and trans people, have to perform whiteness so that we are seen as um, valid or like seen as anything or to be seen, period right and the biggest thing about this is is that like queer and trans BIPOC folks are are seen in a way that we don't want to be seen like so many times especially like again I'm gonna cite TikTok a lot because that's just what is present in my head so many scholarly research it counts (laughs) it was so there was a TikTok that was like um there um no matter um how like I don't remember the exact audio that what that was in it but it was like um anytime that there's a group of black people there is always a white person um in their business um I've seen that so many times yeah and it was legit black people enjoying themselves like not paying any attention in any mind and white people especially white women asserting themselves into it because they're like oh I feel left out or like oh I gotta say something blah 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 Mm -hmm. and um and like the biggest thing is like I think it's really interesting so my office so I work um it's gonna be really interesting because I know that people from my job are gonna hear this podcast but I'm just like I don't care um hi, hi whoever knows hi coworkers. Hi. hi hello um but um I think that it's really inter- <clears throat> excuse me it's really interesting so I am the only queer and trans person that works in my department um and I am also the youngest I would say by four years um which is not a big age difference but it can be I'm the only one that isn't under 30 I'm the only one that's under 30 and I'm one of two two people that do not have children in in our office too which like parenting has another dynamic but my office is all black and brown folks right um but I know that I can tell that they that cis hey folks no matter how they identify do not risk and do not um in in will like there's some level I'm not saying all but there's some level of assimilation the higher up you get and no matter what job you're at if you're in a field that you can be in a position and you're comfortable, there's going to be a level of complacency there. Mm-hmm. And that also happens in your friendships, especially especially in friendships, because if things need to be called out and you need to call someone in and be able to have that dynamic, that Midwestern niceness will creep up and be like, oh my God, you're attacking me. Oh my God, like, I, like, I can't learn and grow, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, I'm going to get canceled. I'm like, I'm not trying to cancel you. I'm just actually trying to do a true accountability process that's not canceling you because, you know, all like the younger millennials and the younger Gen Z's will just cancel you in a heartbeat when that's not a good method to do. Um, But yeah, I went on a tangent a little bit, but overall professionalism sucks. Um, I buck professionalism very hard and I can tell that my office does not like that I do that. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just vibing. I'm just being me. And you told me to bring my whole self to work. And so that's what you got. And that's what you're going to get from me in life in general. And I'm not here to filter. I'm not here to, I did the nicest thing when, you know, I was in working hourly as a student because that was the only way that I could get money. But now I'm like, I don't care because I'm like, you're not going to fire me. If you would, if you would, you would have. If you were going to fire me, you would have done it already. And you also wouldn't have hired me. So sorry, that was so much. There, there are a lot of trauma. I felt like left out of my body. Well, and like, I think the point of that, and I, I know Robert, you've got an additional thought, it seems, but like, I think the point of that is that like, it puts folks in this perpetual position to be prepared to be put out if you're if you're perpetually expecting right that like you are going to have to 
defend or like explain, right? Like I, I resonate with what Robert was talking about earlier about just kind of having to qualify everything, maybe not always apologizing, right? But I find that in my, my time in Northern Minnesota, I have shifted and it, it took me a while to realize it, but I have shifted the way that I like address my thoughts to people, right? It's usually either nestled as like a question of like, well, what if we, perhaps we could, well, what about, right? And I never used to do that, right? And it's become this like really um, frustrating thing for me because I second guess myself, even when my ideas are good. And folks have given me feedback in other spaces, especially folks who are not from the Midwest have given me feedback in spaces. And they're like, why do you do that? And I was like, I didn't realize I was doing it until this moment when you brought it to my attention, (laughs) you know? And that's very frustrating, right? Because that means my literal like psyche has been shifted by a dynamic of people not receiving me, right? Because I'm also the only queer and trans person in my immediate office. And I'm one of very, very few trans people on my entire campus, right? Where I have to think about how I'm going to deliver something to create the least like contention in that space if I want to be heard. So I think we talk a lot about like um, how uh, like all the things people should look out for. But like, I think for me, the, the ways that I found to address it honestly has been shifting my own language. Like I talked a little about earlier, right. Of like, I'm not having this conversation with you like this. If you want to call me, you can do that. Right. Or, um, <clears throat> I've stopped, I've stopped using the word, but, um, I've just like eliminated that from my vocabulary. I've eliminated it from my texts, from my emails, from, from spoken word of like, I'm not going to say all this. And then, but, um, I'm going to say all of it period. And then I'm going to continue on with my thought, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've stopped saying that things are problems. They're not problems, right? There are things we need to be mindful of. There are things that we need to anticipate. Um, there are questions that I have, but something isn't inherently a problem. Because um, I've stopped adding qualifiers around topics because I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to make my language or my thoughts or my opinions comfortable for you. And I get to do that, right? Like, I think whiteness is a huge factor that protects me in that and, and in some of these spaces that I get to make, I get to make that intentional decision. Um, and I would say for like other white folks that are, that are hearing this conversation, right? It's about being able to do that in a way that um, really allows you to put yourself out there, right? I, like, I, I told my supervisor, I'm not having this conversation like this. We can speak face to face if you'd like, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to do this here. Or like, no, that's, that's not a thing. I would like you to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. I would like this to be a thing that, that ends. Right. Um, and, and so I think for me, that has been a huge shift because I think when you shift your language, um, and people start hearing you shift your language, they start, they start making attempts to, to shift their language, but also they start understanding the way in which like you, um, input your language into actions, right? So when I have a conversation with someone, uh, for example, one of my staff members was doing something and I was like, you need to stop doing that immediately. Like we're done. Like that will not happen continuing forward. Um, and I wasn't mad at them, but like, you're doing something you don't need to be doing, like stop. Yeah. And it's not me trying to be mean or rude, but like, there's, there's no additional conversation that we need to have there behavior is done, right? In the same way we set boundaries and the same way we do other things, right? I keep telling people all the time, like me getting divorced was probably like one of the best things that ever could have happened to my boundaries because mm-hmm. I don't have time to compromise them anymore. Mm-mm. Like I did that for five years. I'm done. I'm done doing that. Um, and that's been really helpful. And so I think that's been some of the ways I've shifted some of my stuff. And again, like my privilege inherently comes up in like how I'm able to both do that and enforce it and maintain employment and relationships and other things. Like I'm under no guise that that doesn't have an impact, but for folks that share that identity with me, like that could be a really good way to start creating spaces for other folks that don't share those identities with you um, to to have capacity to do that as well, especially if they're not the first one or the only one doing that. So Mm -hmm. that's that's the tweet I got about that. Yeah, I think thinking about how, like, I don't want to say how we combat Midwestern niceness, which really just needs to be non-existent. Um, I think I think about to where, like, um, yeah, that compromising, I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. And I think the pandemic really showed me mm-hmm. that I need to, 
I need to be actually very firm in my boundaries and like what that means for me um both in my personal life which I'm getting better at and also professionally which I'm also getting better at and I think too that like um especially and I think too like I feel like Midwestern ice which I'm like thinking more about now and like kind of deep diving in is also just like we we know it's tied to white supremacy we've already talked about this but it's also tied to capitalism as well when we talk about boundaries Mm -hmm. is that folks will get mad when you set something like you when you actually set a boundary and folks are upset because they can't have all of you at all times mm. and that that is that is that is it it's that midwestern nice expects you to be whole and to be able to do whatever you want whether that's you having social energy to go hang out with friends you um like being friendly with all your coworkers, blah 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 um you actually having to have a relationship with like your really shitty like midwestern parents like all of that um but like it really um it really just enforces that like i think about like a lot of white ran nonprofits where they say oh we want we want you to bring your whole self but then when you do and when you actually are like things need to change oh oh they'll fire you real quick I know too many people where that has happened to them Mm -hmm. where they're like oh they were brought in always in a diversity role to change the culture but then they don't want to change the culture that's midwestern nice Mm -hmm. is that folks will call you out but then you get scared because it threatens the power that you have as white people white cis folks and white queer and trans folks um um to um it, it, it's a threat it, midwestern niceness is um is a manipulative mechanism and then when you feel threatened by losing that you double down and that is how I can like describe it and like um Robert I'm gonna also take what you said to heart of like getting rid of the word but in in vocabulary um and also being like you know you might think I'm an asshole but I'm just doing my job because I'm not here to sugarcoat shit like if you want sugarcoated go to a candy store um go to college something that's clicking for me right now too is that like it feels like midwest nice and all of its manifestations and all of its roots right also create this like barrier for folks to pursue what they want right like just to say like you are not you cannot have that Um, just kind of like, like things that we've talked about, like internalizing the way that we communicate means that you might restrict yourself from like asking a question, shooting your shot, right. Pursuing something you want, applying for that thing you're excited about, right. Just cause like we exist in this space where you're not getting genuine feedback or people are not being authentic with you. Are you good at something that you're doing or are folks worried about hurting your feelings? Right. And that doesn't set people up to understand like what they're good at, what their gifts are, what brings them actual joy, because they're kind of like following guidelines that are not necessarily applicable to who they are, who they want to be. It's based on like kind of this false kind of like empty set of, 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 it's not setting folks up, I think, to understand like who they can be and who they want to be because they're always performing in accordance with other people's performances, right? Like we're all just kind of choreographed around each other. We bump into each other. We say, oh, and then we move on our merry way, right? To like, like just go, <laughs> go forth and pr- not even necessarily prosper, right? Just to like have to continue to question, you know? And I think something that's so like majestic about marginalized folks in the Midwest is just like overcoming that as much as possible. And so I wonder if in just like the bit of time that we have remaining, just some like final, final thoughts, right? Of just like how, how might you think about, and we've already talked about some tactics, but like, how might you think about overcoming kind of all of the like compression and restriction um, and, and frustration that can come with Midwest nice and all, all of the things we've talked about come with that culture? How do you overcome, right, Midwest nice? um by um setting boundaries being firm in your boundaries and if those boundaries are crossed 
you might need to leave. <laughs> and I think we don't talk about enough that leaving is not, leaving is important. And so like, you don't have to suffer through something to, to know that you need to go. That's kind of, I need to take that advice. Um, um, and so like, if you're like, I can't do this, like, and like my boundaries are being compromised in, in a way that is not safe for me. Um, and I, I am in a place where like, this is not conducive for me. F- find a way out, figure out, because I know that like that level of access to be able to leave is not there for everyone but even if it's like we'll just give like an example of like you have like a really shitty roommate um and you realize that your roommate is crossing boundaries with you you find like find a way to leave and like find a way to be able to like be in a better environment um because i feel like with midwestern niceness like you need to leave like you need to leave to experience something different even though i have like a quid stat like legit like two months in like pennsylvania specifically philadelphia um i've never lived outside of the midwest and even though my mom begs me all the time to move to new york city i also don't want to pay like four thousand dollars to live in a shoebox. but i also with no fridge and no stove none none and and windows, he's got it, no windows. Like, we're not gonna get into a conversation about new york new york's great <laughs> Also very rough, um, rough in the sense of like, you know, the hustle. Um, but also to um, like thinking about how all of this is not, is not, um, Midwestern nice is not all over the country. It is in some retrospects, but that's more of characteristics versus the culture and i i see i see it play out when i think about folks who like live in the south and then move to the midwest like they're just like what is going on here (laughs) and i'm just like yeah but yeah um i would say um if if your boundaries were crossed and compromised in a way that doesn't feel make you safe you need to leave Mm -hmm. and leaving is sometimes the best option and if you if you choose to stay know that you're um you will continuously have to compromise your boundaries until you do not have any anymore so that is that is what i have to say um i think and this is similar to what i tell like students i tell other people like in the world of like some people are hearing this and they're like oh shit yeah i gotta make all this change right i gotta do all these things and like don't change your entire life in an instant like the goal is to take a step at a time because what's going to happen is when you start changing every single thing in in an immediate sort of uh, sense you're going to feel overwhelmed when you don't see immediate results right like it's going to feel like you're putting all this work out into the universe and then you're not seeing anything back from it and so don't hear that as me saying like don't do significant change uh, but don't try and change 1800 things at the same time because uh, nobody has capacity to manage all of that. Uh, take on what's manageable to you, right? So like, for example, you know, when I started changing my language, I just, I removed the word problem. Well, we'll, we'll run into this problem. No, this is something we need to be mindful of. And I, I would do it actively in front of people. I'm trying to get rid of the word problem in my vocabulary. So I'm going to switch my sentence to say this sentence. Um, and that was really helpful, right? Because once I eliminated the word problem, I started to eliminate the word, but and I started to eliminate other words. And so um, it, you know, take one step at a time, right? Like it, there's no need to rush. Um, it's like learning to fly and fall in love, right? Like it's, thank you. Yeah, yes. that was the reference. It's it's basically just like you take on what's manageable. Um, we're not asking you to change the world in, in a single day, but it's about a combined effort of small little changes that are gonna change overall behavior and culture and places. Um, because people are going to start seeing that demonstrated to them and knowing that it's acceptable to demonstrate that to others. So I think that's the big thing for me is that, uh, you know, a single step is, in my opinion, sometimes almost more appropriate than trying to trying to change everything all at once. Because um, when you try and change everything at once, sometimes you don't have the infrastructure to sustain the change. 
Um, you've just made a lot of other things that people now have to change at the same time. And then a place for people to say like, see, it doesn't work um, rather than changing pieces of it. And that doesn't fit for every situation, right? Like prisons, for example, just demolish them, but like right, in other, in other spaces. Right. So, so that for me is, you know, I could talk forever about that, but we don't have, we don't necessarily have time for that. I think my, my parting thought um, is just thinking about, right, like the folks in space who are the people who always say the thing, right? They always name that there's a vibe. They maybe name the contention. They name uncomfortability. They name that there's maybe conflict, right? Like kudos to those people. And I often feel like I am one of those people. Um, I feel like my thought is, as it pertains to Midwest Nice, is that if you feel like you're not the person who consistently says the thing, right, my challenge would be, right, like, what might make you be that person sometimes, right, so that it doesn't always fall on marginalized people, or if you are, you know, a marginalized person, right, really understanding the dynamics of the space that you're in, right, what space you could be taking up, or what's going left unsaid because of these norms that we've talked about, right, all, all show um, of just, like, folks unwilling to name uncomfortability for sake of maintaining peace, because um, that might mean that, like, folks are then being enabled or conditioned or taught, right, not to name things out loud, not to establish boundaries, and then, again, all the things that we've talked about, right, like, really manipulating that space if no one's willing to be that person, and then thinking about if you're not the person who consistently says things, but there's someone in, in your shared space who is the person who consistently says the thing, figure out how you're going to support them and amplify them, because it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting to be that person because then you, you feel exposed, you feel perhaps at risk of a variety of things that we've certainly talked about. Um, and it's just not, it's just not, it's not good practice, right? It's not good. It's not good empathy. It's not being in right relationship with people. I feel like we could talk about this for many more hours and I'm usually accustomed to having three hour phone calls with Robert. So this feels like we're cutting our conversation short. Um, but I feel like that is, that is our best our best bite of Midwest nice today. I'm still hungry. <laughs> Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. This podcast is made possible by the labor and commitments of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, and Nick for all of your support with editing, promotion, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. 